0: All right. Thank you, Pastor Tito. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Welcome to New Life Patterson. Uh, Those of you that don't know, my name is Jeremy. And so it's uh, great to see you this morning. Got just a couple more things that we want to talk about. Don't forget, those of you that signed up for the Money Canvas, that's happening today at 1215, right after this service. So you can... uh, um, Chill out in here just for a little bit longer, listen to the music or whatever, while uh, Larry's getting set up and while Miss Anna is uh, getting our kids all checked out. And then we'll be going in there and starting at 1215. Those of you that didn't sign up, but you want to be a part of that, you can, it's not too late. You can just uh, hang out and go in there at 1215. Uh, Larry will get all your information. As we said before, we're not trying to sell you anything. You don't have to buy anything. This is a free resource uh, from Larry through New Life to us uh, for people who uh, wanna learn how to live on a budget And to give people some breathing room, because we know a lot of times finances can be one of those things that really traps us and really kind of holds us hostage. And so um, uh, Larry's got a great program that he's going to take us through. So thank you uh, very much, uh, Larry, for doing that. It's going to be right after service at 1215 in the multi-purpose room, okay? So those of you there, we have about 30 plus people signed up for that so far. So uh, there's plenty of room for, for more. He's ordered some more food. And it wasn't McDonald's. It's Burger King, no, I'm just kidding. Something a little bit better. All right. Uh, also, uh, we our ladies ministry, uh, Miss Lisa and Miss Roxanne, who've been leading our ladies Bible study on Tuesday morning. They're doing something really exciting this summer. They're doing a workshop called Faith Art Journaling. Faith Art Journaling. Now, if you've never heard of that, look it up. You can Google some images about what that looks like. But it's basically taking the uh, taking art and connecting it to Scripture and your faith and uh, prayer and things like that. So it's a really cool uh, little workshop that they're going to be doing on Tuesday mornings from 9.30 to 11 during the summer. Uh, But the spaces are limited, so make sure you go see them. I I brought one of these, uh, one of the flyers up with me. So they've got flyers out in the lobby. You can go see them immediately after service uh, ladies and sign up for that. They're gonna be doing that during the summer. There is a small fee to buy your kit. Uh, to be able to do that, but they're going to have a lot of fun doing that and also just uh, connecting to uh, God in, in a very different way. So make sure you sign up for that. I know that they're looking forward uh, to, uh, to getting involved in that process. And then also this, I'm really, really excited about this one too. We're doing VBS again uh, for the first time in what, three years, I think, because of COVID, we haven't been able to do VBS. If you've never been involved in Vacation Bible School at New Life, It is amazing. One year we did Star Wars, and we hung the Millennium Falcon from the middle of the auditorium down. And so we go all out for our vacation Bible school, and uh, uh, most of the time we have over 1,000 kids, and we do that at the Turlock campus. So the way that we're going to do that is uh, you drop your kid off here at the Patterson campus. We're going to be busing our children from the Patterson campus to the Turlock campus during this week. Okay, So it's going to be June the 20th through the 23rd uh from 5:30 to 8:30 p.m. and it's for any children ages 4 years to 6th grade sign ups begin on May 29th. So if you have your if you have kids in our program, take out your phones, take a picture of this so that you have this. We're going to be talking about it over the next several weeks, but it's uh sign ups like we said begins on May 29th and this year the theme is Game On, all right? And yours truly might be Mario, all right? Yeah. I am Mario, all right? And so we already have been doing some filming uh, with that. And so uh, the Mario costume, the mustache is amazing. Uh, for my Mario costume. But anyway, uh, we're doing that, giving God the controller. And so that's going to be happening uh, at our Turlock campus. But we do, we are providing transportation from here over to our Turlock campus that's, that week. So make sure that you get your kids signed up. It's going to be great. Uh, even if we only have 50% of what we normally have uh, because of COVID and we kind of lost some uh, momentum, even if we have 500 kids, that's going to be pretty amazing. So make sure you get your kids signed up for that. Also, if you are here for the first Time we have a gift for you, uh, for checking us out here at New Life. Before you leave, uh, head into the lobby and you'll see a little bookshelf there on your left, and you'll see some coffee mugs that's got our new, our New Life logo on it. Grab one of those, uh, and that's just a little gift that's a small gift to, from us to you to say thank you, uh, for being a guest with us here at New Life. And also, if you're here for the first time and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, Welcome home, you know. Um, Pastor Dave was here last week. Didn't Pastor Dave do a great job last week uh, being here? He would not shut up about how much he loved this campus. He said, he said, as a matter of fact, he said he talked to some of the staff and he said, I'm thinking about trading campuses with Jeremy. I'm like, you're not, no, no way that's happened. You're going to have to fight me. We worked too long to get this, right? And so, uh, but he had a great experience. Thank you for welcoming him. He loved the whole experience from the time he pulled up to the time he left. He said that uh, our team around here are volunteers and all of our team. We've done a great job of just uh, getting everything ready and preparing uh, for, uh, for God's presence and being in here. And uh, he just said that just the family environment that we've created, the whole welcome home thing. And I said, I'm telling you, you, you need to be doing that in Turlock because we've been doing it here for a long time. He loved it. But anyway, just want to say thank you for welcoming him. He had an amazing experience. Even down to the music. He walked in. He's the pre-music. The pre-music, the guys play kind of a R&B, kind of a jazz worship music, you know. And he's like, man, where you guys get this music? I'm like, dude, it's Patterson. All right. I'm sorry you guys don't have this in Turlock. All right, but we're the trendsetters here. But anyway, he had a great experience. So thank you, those of you um, who uh, just got to spend some time with him and got to talk to him. He had an amazing experience. Hey, we're in the book of John today, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. If you don't have uh, your physical Bible, you could turn to that in your phone or maybe your iPad, whatever you have with you today. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. We're going to be in the New Living Translation today. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in this series. Those of you that maybe, uh, maybe this is your first time here, we've been in this series called uh, Messy Faith about how our lives can be very messy. There's areas of our lives that are really messy and how God loves even the messy parts of our lives, but he wants us to come to him and bring those messy broken parts of who we are and how he can still redeem those and fix those and clean us up if we allow him. So week one, we talked about those messy junk drawers. Remember, we talked about everybody in their house has that drawer in their living room or not the living room, but their kitchen, right? That when guests come over and they say, where's your silverware? It's not in that one. Don't open that one because I don't know if we'll get it closed. So everybody's got that junk drawer in their house. And a lot of times we've got that junk drawer in our lives. We have that one area of our lives that we do not like to go digging around because we can't remember what's in there. It's ugly. And there's a bunch of stuff in there from our past that we pull out of of our lives sometimes. And we say, oh, I forgot this was in here. But they're just messy areas of our lives that are imperfect that we often avoid because a lot of times we don't know what to do with it. But we learn that we can take those areas of our lives to Jesus. We can take those areas unashamed and he can help clean them out that we don't have to pretend anymore, that we're not in this journey alone and that Jesus wants us to invite him on our journey as we draw closer to him. And then week two, we talked about those messy questions that we have sometimes that we are hesitant to ask God that we kind of want answers for. We wrestled with the motives behind some of those questions and what's really behind the heart and the desire behind some of the things that we ask him. We learned that if we can truly remember that he is in control of our lives, that we can come to him in humility, that we can ask him what's really on our hearts because he already knows the questions we have anyway. He knows our thoughts, right? And whatever answer that he gives, we may not like the answer. It may be a delayed answer. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is silence. But can we accept that God really knows what's best for us? And then last week, like we said, Pastor Dave did an amazing job by showing us how we can get past those messy parts of our lives where we feel like we just failed. Those times where we feel like we failed as a spouse, we failed as a parent, we failed as an employer or an employee or a neighbor. Those messy things in our lives where we say, I just feel like a failure in this area of my life. And sometimes we allow that shame to distance us from coming to an all-powerful God. But that's exactly what we need to do so that we can overcome those feelings of failure when we put our faith and hope in Jesus. And sometimes that's messy. Today we're going to deal with some of the messiness of our doubt. Because we all deal with areas of our lives where we doubt. Is doubt okay? Is it okay to doubt? Is it okay to have some areas of our life where when we think about this part of Jesus or this part of God, we actually doubt that? Does God get upset with us when we doubt? So let's find out. So growing up, uh, one of the things that would drive my mom and dad nuts was, maybe you can identify with this, was um, when there were times where they would try to get me to believe something, but I was just like, no, I don't believe you. I, 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 not that I think you're lying, but I just don't believe you. And most of the cases, it was something that I wanted to believe, but I just couldn't get there. And I would frustrate my dad so much. He would say, Son, are you calling me a liar? And I'm like, What is this, the old West? Is this pistols at dawn? No, I'm not saying that you're a liar. I, I just needed to see some proof. I needed to see this for myself. And like I said, some of the things I wanted it to be true, but it just seemed too difficult to believe, too outrageous. Some of my two favorite words growing up when I was a kid were either prove it or nuh-uh. Maybe some of you have those kids in your house. I know of my four kids, I have a couple of those myself. (coughs) But then as I've gotten older, especially in today's kind of cultural climate, I realized that people just don't ask enough questions. We just don't question enough. We tend to believe everything we hear, Whenever, wherever a person gets their news and their information, that's sort of their gospel, right? Because that's what they always watch. And then you hear all these crazy polls that are being taken all the time with these outrageous percentages that we know most of the time are biased. We can admit that. And most of the time it's all garbage. Think about it. Have you ever heard a statistic sometime? You hear the statistic and you think to yourself, who are these people surveying? Where are are they finding these people? Where do these people live that they're coming up with this stuff? You say, just something stupid, outrageous. We asked 1,000 50-year-olds what they thought about their fear of salmonella and chicken. I'm like, no, no, you're not. No, you didn't. You didn't ask anybody that. I'm 50 years old. I know a lot of 50-year-olds. None of us are talking to you about our fear of salmonella and chicken. We're just not doing that but there's all kinds of ideologies and belief systems and religions and cultural differences and all sorts of philosophies out there. And I just don't think that we question enough the things that we hear, the things that we see. To doubt and to ask questions can be a really healthy thing to do. It's okay not to believe everything you hear and to hold someone accountable for what's being said. One of the reasons I think it's okay to doubt is because sometimes it causes us to do our own research. So when I was a youth pastor, I used, to, I used to try to get all my students, I'd say, bring your Bible, bring your Bible, bring your Bible. We had about 125 students in my youth group, and I would challenge them all the time, bring your Bible, because how do you know what I'm telling you is true? How do you know what I'm telling you is accurate? And then every now and then, about once every three or four months, I would make up this crazy verse make up chapter and verse and even sometimes even the book. And I'd put it up on the screen behind me and I would read it just like it was in the Bible. And they would just sit there, just believe everywhere. And I was like, and then I'd have a couple of the, the Bible quiz you know, nerds that, that knew the Bible better than I did. And they would start snickering. I'm like, what are you laughing at? They're like, Pastor Jeremy, that's not in the Bible. I'm like, no, it's not in the Bible. But no one else knows that. I want you to bring your Bibles and check me out. Make sure that I'm telling you the right thing. And if you're saying there, Jeremy, You're their pastor. You shouldn't have done that. It's kind of cruel. It's youth ministry. You get by with a lot more and that kinds of stuff. But sometimes our doubt can be a driver to accomplish a task. Sometimes our doubt can be a driver to get us to take a risk that maybe we wouldn't take before. In my twenties, I was beginning to doubt I would ever get to pursue a ministry career as being a pastor. When Janet was going to nursing school, we both had our doubts of whether or not she was ever going to finish because it was a super difficult program. I had doubts that I would ever finish my own education. I had doubts about our campus ever getting into our own building. I wondered how long are we we going to be a set-up, tear-down church in the high school? In other words, if I can't see it, then I tend to doubt it. Prove it. Show me. Present the evidence so that I can believe. Because in my heart, there are things that I want to believe, but sometimes I'm just not there until I see it for myself. I'm doubting you. I'm doubting what you're saying to me is true. And some followers of Jesus are the exact same way. We say, prove it, Jesus. Show me. There's lots of followers of Jesus out there that have their doubts, and they think things like, I doubt that God can really protect my family. I doubt that God can provide for my family during a recession that I fear is coming. I doubt that God will really keep me healthy during a pandemic. I doubt that God really cares about whether or not my marriage is healthy or my other relationships. Because if we're not careful, our doubt about God in some areas of our life can potentially cause doubt in other areas. If we go too far with our doubt, we could even begin to doubt our own relationship with Jesus. We can begin to doubt his love for us. We can begin to doubt his hope for us. We can begin to doubt his plan and his purpose for us that it's good. Did you know this? I learned this this week. 40% of Gen Zers, okay, if you don't know if you're a Gen Zer, uh, they're born between 1997 and 2012. So the ages, between the ages of 10 and 25. Did you know that four out of every 10 Believers, these are people who consider themselves a follower of Jesus. Four out of every 10 followers of Jesus between the ages of 10 and and 25 do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. We're failing. What are we doing as a church that four out of every 10 of our of our uh, of our, of Americans between the ages of 10 and 25 who consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus don't believe that Jesus lived a sinless life that completely eradicates the reason why Jesus came because it took the spotless sinless perfect blood of Jesus to cover the sins of humanity and if he sinned then that means that it didn't work what are we doing we're teaching doubt we're 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 allowing doubt to rule in the minds of the next generation that's coming up behind us instead of having them wrestle with it and, and and showing evidence that Jesus is exactly who he said he is. That when he said that, when you see me, you see the father that I'm in the father and the father is in me, that the words that come from me are not mine, but they come from the father and that there's only one way to heaven. A lot of people have trouble grasping that too. They doubt that. We can thank God when we win the trophy. I want to thank God for the touchdown. I want to thank God for my Oscar, but don't bring Jesus into it. That's too personal because Jesus said too many offensive things when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way to the Father is through me. Whoa, that's offensive. Don't say that. You can thank God, but don't thank Jesus. We're raising a generation of doubters, and we're not having them do anything with it. Doubt can get away from us. I have a few friends that used to be pastors, dear friends of mine over the past 17 years that I've been in ministry who have walked away not just from their ministry, but they've walked away from their faith and it breaks my heart. Three of which because their marriages fell apart, one because he got fired from his church. They all doubted that God could be the hero, that Jesus could still be the hero of their story of restoration and they just walked away. I know in my personal life, I've, I've had my own doubts. Moments that I've said out loud, God, you're in control. Father, I fully trust you with this situation. God, if it's your will, it's your bill. You know, all these great Christian cliches. I'm not worrying about this one more day. So is all doubt bad? Is it okay to doubt sometimes? I mean, even the, the disciples had their doubts, Right? Those handpicked chosen ones who were called out by the very voice of the Messiah who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and ate and drank with Jesus were part of some of the miracles with Jesus. Some of them had their doubts too. One of those is who we're going to be learning more about today. So we're in the gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 19, 19 through 21 and then 24 through 29. It says this, that Sunday evening, what Sunday evening? This is the resurrection of Jesus. So we... The, the, the ladies, Mary and Martha, they ran to uh, the, the tomb. The stone was rolled away. Jesus was gone. That was on Sunday morning. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors. They had just heard Jesus has risen. So now they're scared to death. They're thinking, okay, the, 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 the Roman army and the Jewish leaders, they're going to think that we stole his body, so we're going to hide out for the day. So they were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And he said, peace be with you. Then he gives them a directive. As the father has sent me, so I am sending you. Skip down to verse 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied to them, I won't believe it. "...unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my finger into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side." Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. "'Peace be with you,' he said. Then he said to Thomas, "'Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound of my side.'" Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God. This is critical. We're going to come back to why this is so important. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, my Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Bless are those who believe without seeing me. You know, over the years, Thomas has got kind of a a bad rap for being uh, doubting Thomas, for doubting Jesus. If you grew up in church, maybe you've heard someone referred to as a doubting Thomas. They would say, oh, don't be a doubting Thomas when it comes to things of the scripture. But I believe that most of us can truly identify with the rawness of Thomas regarding the resurrection of someone that they just saw murdered. After the crucifixion and burial of Jesus, we think that Thomas just went right back to work. We know he was a fisherman because that's what he was doing when Jesus called for him to come and follow him. So maybe he just went back to his boat. We don't know thinking, Hey, it was great while it lasted. You know, I got to travel with the son of the living God for three years. I was chosen as one of His 12, but Hey, he's gone. He left us. I don't know what we're supposed to do now. I've got bills and taxes to pay. I've got to eat we don't know that that's what he was thinking, but I think that Thomas was just hurting. I think that he was deeply mourning the loss of his friend. Maybe this was his way of coping with his pain by being avoided, you know, by avoiding him in, in isolation. Maybe he didn't want to be around anyone, and that's something I know that a lot of us can identify with. All we know is that this is Thomas's big scene in Scripture, and instead of focusing on who he was, we find ourselves focusing on the very human characteristic for which most of of us can connect, and that's his doubt. Like we said, we've all had our doubts. So what do we do with them? What do we do with those areas of our life where we doubt? That's messy. Here's some great news. Here's your first fill-in for the weekend. Number one, Jesus meets me in my doubts. He meets me in my doubts. Like Pastor Tito said, if you're looking for where we take notes, you can just download the app, open up the app, and the the message notes are right there. I remember when I first started following Jesus at the age of 18, I was constantly in the Bible reading about things that I heard about growing up in church, but now I'm experiencing some of these stories for the very first time in my new relationship with Jesus, Things like, things that I would read growing up, I'm like, ah, come on, man. You know, is that, did Jesus really spit in the ground and take the mud and rub it on a guy's eyes? And then a blind guy started, he was able to see. Are you serious? Come on, that's kind of disgusting, you know. Or raising his friend Lazarus from the dead. He'd been dead for four days. And all of a sudden he comes out and rips his grave clothes, clothes off. I mean, walking on water. That'd be cool to kind of see somebody walk on water, feeding 10,000 people with one basket of food, all these things that I grew up hearing, and now I'm experiencing them for the first time, for the second time, but it's like the first time because now I have this new relationship with Jesus, and and I'm understanding it a little bit different, and I'm bringing my my prove it and my nuh-uh attitude from when I was little into this new relationship. And all my brand new Christ-following friends who attended different churches, they had different perspectives and different beliefs about, about specific topics in the Bible. We, we argued for an entire week one time. We had Bibles over. Oh, this is before the Internet. We had Bibles and commentaries and stuff spread all over. The, I went over to this guy's trailer. We had two rooms with everything spread up, trying to, fi- trying to figure out, was the wine that Jesus turned from water fermented or not? It was driving us nuts We were trying to figure this out, but we would get into these deep theological discussions on a Friday night into the wee hours of Saturday morning. I was in college and all my college buddies were were hopping from fraternity house to fraternity house, house, partying, and I'm studying scripture with all my friends up until Saturday morning. We would argue for hours, like I said, about who was right and who was wrong. And and it it was as if Jesus was saying to me, yeah, that's right, keep digging, keep digging, Keep discovering more about me. Go ahead, read this commentary. Study this translation. What I realized is as I was exploring my doubts, as I was diving into the, my, my proven and my nuh-uh, I was actually drawing closer and closer to Jesus. I was discovering more about the purpose that he had for me. Jesus was meeting me in my doubt. He wasn't shaming me. He wasn't scolding me. He wasn't putting his hand up to me and uh, oh, until you fully believe, I'm not going to talk to you, Jeremy. He was meeting me in my doubt. Hebrews 11:6 6 says this. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe both that he exists and he cares enough to respond to those who what? Seek him. The ones that are coming after him, the ones that are looking for him. I learned that I was opening myself up to believing him more and more. I was embracing the reality of God's plan and purpose for my life. I was realizing that my life isn't about me. It's all about him. What was my initial doubt was now transitioning into me knowing him more, that he is trustworthy. I was learning that that bringing my doubts to him doesn't make him angry with me, that my doubts weren't something that I should be ashamed of, In the text, notice that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't let Thomas have it. He doesn't berate Thomas. He doesn't make him feel bad. He doesn't say, Thomas, why can't you believe? Thomas, why can't you take Peter's word for it? He doesn't say any of that. Instead, he offers Thomas evidence. Evidence to overcome his doubt. More than enough evidence. So much evidence that Thomas doesn't even need it all. In the same way, God provides more than enough evidence for you and I. Because when Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen, but they believe. He's talking to you and I. He's communicating a blessing to those of us who have come to believe in Jesus, even though we've never seen him. Hebrews 11 says this, talks about faith. This is the definition of faith. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. That brings us to number two. It's your second fill-in for the weekend. Jesus is big enough to handle my doubt. He is big enough to handle my doubt. Some of the things that, uh, w- what are some of the things that we can do if we think about our doubt and think of, how can I handle this doubt? How can I bring my doubt to Jesus? How can I be more reliant on God to work through my doubt? Or how do I know that I have this freedom to approach Jesus without some, some fear of, uh, of a consequence or shame? There's some things I think we can do when we think about our doubt. Think about how, how do we approach it? And how can I have a conversation to, with Jesus about some of my doubts? I had a conversation with someone right before first service. And I said, I always try to think of my relationship with Jesus like my marriage. Because there's parts of my life that I don't even have to talk about. But Janet knows there's something bothering me. So when she comes to me and says, what's up? What's, up? what's going on? Oh, nothing. I don't want to talk about it. No, I open up to her. She knows there's something wrong with me. But we tend to have that kind of relationship with Jesus. Well, I'm so so ashamed or there's something going on. Jesus wouldn't understand, so I'm not going to go to him. He already knows your thoughts anyway. Have a conversation with Jesus. Here's some things we can do. Number one, we can remember God's faithfulness. We can remember God's faithfulness. Psalm 105 says this, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. Maybe there's been a time in your life when God's presence came right in the middle of your chaos. You were right in the middle of some tragedy, some chaos in your life, and God's presence showed up. Even if you look back far enough, Even before you began following Jesus, even before you declared him as your Lord and Savior, we all can probably think of a time where God stepped in to our chaos, where everything was going wrong, but somehow we experienced the presence of God despite it all. We're not going to get that all the time. We know that. But perhaps we can reflect on a time where we've had it before. Thomas had three years of experiences to choose from the good, the bad and the ugly with Jesus. And I believe he reflected back on that when the disciples came in and said, Hey, we just saw Jesus. I believe that Thomas began this reflection back about the last three years of spending time with the son of the living God and thought about some of those moments and chose to bring his doubt to Jesus. Another thing we can do is we can hold tightly to Jesus. We can hold tightly to Jesus. Hebrews 10.23, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. What's the hope? The hope in Jesus Christ that he died for our sins and that he rose again. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. And that means it's not always going to be 100% certainty. Not on on God's end, but on our end. Faith is something that we have to hold on to. It's something that we have to hold tightly to. Even especially in those difficult times, those difficult situations that we get in, those are the times we have to hold on to our faith the hardest and the strongest. When we read the Bible, it's pretty clear that that was true for many of the, our faith heroes that Hebrews talks about. If there weren't room for doubt, listen to this, if there weren't room for doubt, there wouldn't be room for faith. And the last thing we can do is we can realize that it is not about me. It's not about us. It's all about Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says this, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And you may be thinking, well, how does this help me with my doubt? Think about it. Most of the time you and I, We allow our selfish thinking and our self-centeredness to keep us from really coming to God and being vulnerable and transparent and honest. I think a lot of times believers forget that when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. We have this narrative about ourselves that often overshadows who Christ is in us and our identity in him. We have this checklist about ourselves that we've memorized my name is Jeremy and I'm married to Janet and I have four kids and I pastor at new life and I live in Patterson and we go all the way down through this checklist that we've memorized about ourselves. And then at the bottom, there's this footnote that says follower of Jesus where they oh, yeah, also I believe in Jesus. It's like this footnote in our life. What if we moved that footnote up to the narrative about ourselves If we truly embrace our identity in Jesus, I think we would be more likely to come to him in our moments and even our seasons of doubt without fear of being punished or shamed. Thomas knew his relationship with Jesus wasn't about him. He knew it was all about Jesus. He had to. He had to have known this because he was there when Jesus showed up the second time. I could just imagine him in that room. Hoping and waiting with anticipation, hoping that Jesus would appear again like he did before. here's what I believe is happening in this story, in this moment. Notice the first time he appears, Jesus doesn't say, hey, um, where's Thomas? I know Judas is gone. Judas had already went out and hanged himself for selling Jesus out. So that left eleven. Thomas is gone, so now there's 10. But we don't see him ask, where's Thomas? He doesn't come in and say, hey, you know, looks like everyone's here so we can get started. Just so you know, as the Father sending, has sent me, I'm sending you, he gives this directive. But no, Jesus connected with the ones who were there in the moment. But that doesn't mean that he didn't notice Thomas' absence. We just don't have anything on record of him Verbally saying anything. How do we know? Because of what happened when he showed up the second time. Like we said, he gives no directives to the disciples the second time like he did the first. The first time he came in, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. The second time he just comes in and says, peace be with you. And then the text says, he turned to Thomas and said. I love this. He wasted no time. You see, I think he came the second time just for Thomas. I think he came a second time not only because he loved Thomas so deeply as one of the 12, but because he wanted to help overcome Thomas's doubt. He knew what was going on in Thomas's head. He knew Thomas was doubting him. So what's that application for you and I? How do we apply this to me? How do you apply this to your life? It's this. Jesus will also come just for you. He'll also come just for me. And you know what? He did come just for you. And he came just for me. If you're open to him like Thomas, he'll come and prove himself to you. Now, will he show up in your bedroom tonight when your door is shut and locked and say, hey, look, here I am. Here's the nail prints in my hands. You can put your fingers right here. You can put your hand on my side. No. Jesus is not going to do that. But he can reveal himself in such a real way to you that you can walk away with this undeniable knowing and this undeniable experience that Jesus indeed is real. You want to know the other side of the story? This is my favorite part of this whole story. Did Thomas really doubt as much as we say he did? I mean, think about it. He's in the room for the second time. It was eight days later. The doors were locked as before and Jesus never said, I'm coming back a second time. Never said that to the disciples. And all it took was Thomas seeing Jesus. Remember, Thomas said to the disciples when they said, hey, we've just seen the Lord. "Uh, I don't believe you unless I Touch where his nail prints are. Unless I put my hand in his side, I'm not going to believe it. He didn't say that to Jesus. He said it to the disciples. And we don't see any other text of the disciples pulling Jesus aside and saying, hey, we talked to Thomas. And Thomas said that unless he does these things, no. There's never any communication about that. That means that Thomas told the disciples his demands the disciples, nor Thomas, never gave the demands to Jesus. But notice what he did. Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, go ahead. Do what you got to do to believe. We don't have any record that Thomas even did them. No record that Thomas actually touched his nail prints or that Thomas actually put his hand in his side. I believe as soon as he heard Jesus say that and he thought, that's exactly what I needed to do. But how did he know? It was him seeing Jesus and Jesus said, now believe. So what would it take for you to believe? What would it take for you to take Jesus to take to Jesus your messy doubts. Here's a question I want us all to wrestle with this week. Am I so desperate, ask yourself this, am I so desperate to connect with Jesus that I'm willing to bring him those areas in my life that I really struggle with, with my doubt? Am I willing to process those areas with Jesus? First of all, what are your doubts? Put a name to your doubts. I doubt God can mend my marriage. I doubt God can break this addiction. I doubt God can save my kids. I doubt God knows how wicked my boss is. I doubt God can really heal my sickness. I doubt that God really cares about my mental illness or does he even care that I attempted suicide twice this week. I doubt that God even really loves me. I doubt, I doubt, I doubt. Let me encourage you to take your doubts to Jesus when Thomas thought that there might even be a small chance that the disciples were telling him the truth, he went to see for himself. I believe he took his prove it and his nuh-uh attitude to that room and he waited. So what if Jesus is waiting for you this morning? What if he's waiting for you to bring him your doubts? Because no matter the size of your doubt, no matter the quantity of your doubt. Jesus is big enough to handle them. We don't have to hide from Jesus with our doubts. And maybe he's saying to you what he said to the rawness of Thomas on that day. Believe. He's looking for our belief. Will you bow your heads? Jesus, I wanna say thank you for being big enough to handle my doubt. Father, you know every single person in this room. You know us intimately. You know our thoughts. You know our actions. You know our doubts. You know those areas of conflict within our lives. You know those areas that we wrestle with. You know those areas that we're sometimes reluctant to bring to you because we feel shame, we feel guilt, we feel like that we should be on be beyond some of those areas of our lives and our growth and in our maturity with you. There are areas that are keeping us from having that transparent, vulnerable relationship with you. And Father, I feel this morning that you are calling those areas out and you're asking us to bring our doubt to you. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that that's happening in this room. That people are laying their doubts before you at your feet. And they're saying, help me with this. Help me believe. And Father, just like only you can do, you are revealing yourself to them in a very real way that's real to them. You're such a personal God. And we love you. We open ourselves up to you, Jesus. And We say, take control of our lives. You're such an amazing God and we love you. Go with us, Lord, as we separate, as we go our separate ways this morning. We pray, God, that you'll be with us, watch over us, protect us, keep us safe, Lord. I pray a blessing on New Life Patterson. As their shepherd, as your people, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be charge of the ones that you've placed under my care. I love you, and I love them. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Hey, if there was something that kind of connected with you this morning, something that really resonated with you, we have a prayer team uh, located over there in the corner. You'll see the new sign that we have there that says prayer. And uh, so we have uh, Carl and uh, Carl and his wife are over there and they're ready to pray uh, for you. So if you have anything going on in your life, you say, you know what, outside of the message, Jeremy, I have something else that's kind of going on. Hey, they're available Uh, right now. So you can just head over there right after service as everybody's leaving. And so they're willing to pray with you. Also, uh, lastly, just wanted to remind you, those of you that were here last week, Pastor Dave was here and talked a little bit about uh, me going on sabbatical. And so that begins this week. And so uh, those of you that weren't here, I'm going to be stepping away just for a few weeks Uh, to allow God to kind of speak uh, through me and to kind of do some soul work in myself. Not going anywhere. Trust me, I am not going anywhere. You guys can't get rid of me at this point. All right. I moved to California for you. You are my family. All right. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. I'm not looking to go anywhere. This is a time every five years, our board of elders uh, give our pastors a few weeks off for time of sabbatical. And so my time is due. And so it's coming up. So Pastor Tito, We'll be kind of leading the charge. We've been working on this for months now, preparing and getting the campus ready for that. We also have an amazing uh, men's leadership team. We're going to be stepping up and doing some things around here at the campus as well. So we have an amazing team. Tito and Anna have been preparing for this. They are ready. And so we're excited about what God's going to do. But I just want you to pray for me Uh, as I'm gone. I'll be praying for you. Uh, Like I said, I'll be back in just a few weeks. Uh, Last night, I really wrestled. I didn't get a whole lot of sleep. Last night, just a little bit anxious about what this looks like. I've never taken a sabbatical in the 17 years I've been in ministry. And so I know it's long overdue. And uh, so I just kind of wrestled with this all night long. Didn't sleep a whole lot. And uh, I know now why why that is. I woke up this morning. I was praying. I was like, God, help me name what's going on in me. And uh, it's grief. I'm going to miss you guys. And so there's a little bit of grief going on uh, inside of me. And I know we all handle grief differently, don't we? And so, uh, for me, I didn't sleep well last night because, uh, I love you. You're my family and I'm going to miss you. And, uh, but just know that during this time away that I'm going to be deeply connecting with God, he's going to be deeply connecting with me. And I'm excited about the recharge, uh, that I'm going to come back with. And so be back in a few weeks. Please don't let this be a few weeks of saying, well, Jeremy's gone. So I'll see you in July. No, no. Pastor Tito is going to be at the helm. We also have pastor Tommy, pastor Dave, pastor Brett, pastor Brian, Uh, pastor, I think that's, I think that's all of our pastors. It's going to be, uh, but pastor Tito is going to be, uh, primarily, uh, in charge while I'm gone. So, uh, if you have any issues, anything going on, uh, he's going to be kind of the buffer uh, between me. He's going to be connected, uh, connected to me a couple of times during my sabbatical. Let me know that everybody, everything's okay. Everything's okay, right? Everything's going great, smooth, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, be praying for Pastor Tito too. This is a different level uh, for him. It's a different season for him. And so uh, we all could use your prayers. Hey, we love you guys. Have an amazing week. Don't forget, uh, Roxanne and Lisa are out in the lobby to sign up for the uh, Faith Art Journaling. And also if you're here, for the money canvas that's happening at 1215. If you didn't sign up for it, it's not too late. You can still do that. And if you came prepared to give, you know where, where to give, uh, the physical giving or whether you give online, we just want to say th- thank you so much. Prayer over here in the corner. Other than that, we love you guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.